Digital Drift episode 54 originally recorded Saturday 24th of April 2014, The Disney Specials, part 2, Pinocchio. Pinocchio, 1940. Uh, Dan, what do you like about Pinocchio? Actually, having now watched it again and knowing its historical, like at the context it was released in, I like like a lot about Pinocchio. Pinocchio okay, is go for it. quickly turned into one of my actual. I don't know if I'd rank it among favorites. I feel like I want to finish watching the rest of these first, but it's I like it way way more than I used to because in watching Pinocchio, I realized for the first time what an incredible leap Disney had made in terms of technical and artistic capability from Snow White even. These guys were, there was no hard set study for animation up to this point. These guys were basically figuring it out as they went, how to do animation well and how, and just figuring this craft out. The fact that in 10 years, they basically figured out everything that I have now studied to do my job today by themselves is astounding. But also that just between these two films, a few years apart, the huge strides forward, like in character animation, in effects animation, the way they stage the action doesn't feel like a short anymore. It feels like now they're imitating film. The a lot of the kind of camera angle simu- like a simulation they do, like the entire monstro sequence, the way it's cut together, it feels very film-like and very effective. That's it's a charming story. It's got really charming music, and the production value on this film, like you really, f- I feel like you really feel Disney's perfectionism watching this one. It feels like they made an absurd amount of money on snow white like if you if you don't adjust for inflation it's still the most successful animated film like box office ever it allowed them to buy their burbank studios that that basically paved the way for disney itself yeah it it made disney animation a thing he staffed up big time he did and he put a lot of money into pinocchio as a follow-up and you could tell he was like all right we're gonna make a lot of money from these things let us make this perfect let us just pour as much money as we need to to make this film awesome and, and it's a lot it, trickier as well because the original uh, Snow White uh, fairy tale, they could boil it down to the simple lines, which it was. Um, but Pinocchio is a book and it's got a very set story and one thing leads to another and each it's episodic and everything has some sort of uh, relevance to Pinocchio's journey. So they were, to a degree, far more constricted by their adaptation of that than they were with Snow White. Definitely. And I think it helped because I mean, Pinocchio feels a lot leaner and a lot more story focused than Snow White does as well, like less it's, uh, procrastinating with dance and singing routines. There's still yeah. a few with the clocks and the and the jumping out a little wooden boy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. But it does move along at much more of a quick clip, and it's uh, just Disney just sunk so much money into this thing, and it's really watching it now. It is really like a joy to watch. Like, find like I went back and I watched like okay, Snow White the dwarves chasing the witch up the mountain before she dies and to kind of murder her at, with pickaxes yeah yeah, yeah. for kids um, <laughs> so like watching that and looking at just technically what they achieved is all right some very cool shots some very fancy lighting very beautiful painting some pretty good animation here and but then looking at that compared to the monstro sequence in pinocchio and it looks like this was 10 to 20 years apart. Like the leap forward in craft and in the way it's staged and everything is just, and in how exciting and really tense it is, is just astounds me now. Mickey Woodenhead, go play, you old 
park. Bring a little joy to every heart. Little do you know, and yet it's true, that I'm mighty proud of you. Little wooden feet, and best of all, little wooden seat, in case you fall. Oh, how graceful, my little wooden head. Structurally and in, in just sheer appearance, Pinocchio far better resembles the later Disney's than Snow White does. Right. I just I never realized until watching these now how much progress they made so quickly. I set the tone with it. Um, yeah. My personal favorite bits I like as well. Honest John, the uh, Fox <laughs> character, he's basically Mr. Burns. If you actually watch his uh, his his behavior, especially since Mr. Burns uh, appears to have a cultural reference point around about 1940, maybe slightly before then. So it's like he stopped there and has basically been an uh, honest John, uh, but you know, but immortal and somehow before carried. Before he got huge, his, his yeah. early wheeling, dealing, scamming days. Um, and he's perfectly characterized in a single little feature of his costume. And can you guess which one I'm thinking of here? Is it the, like the hole in the glove? Yes, the yeah. fingertip hole. He's got a little tiny patch of his glove missing, which shows that he's got these airs and graces and these fancy white gloves, but there's a hole in it, and it's it it's it's kind of like you can see the shyster underneath, uh, and it it doesn't take much exploration to see it. But it, to the casual, wide-eyed Pinocchio type guy, he might seem like a fancy actor. But he hasn't what... even noticed that he's yeah. got a hole in his glove. No, of course. Yeah, because <laughs> he's not looking for those little details. An actor's life for me. Hi, little An actor's life for me. A wax mustache and a beaver coat. A pony card and a billy goat. Hi, little dum. An actor's life is fun. You wear your hair on the pompadour. You ride around in a coach and four. You stop and buy out a candy store. An actor's life for me. Hi, diddly dee. An actor's life for me. A high silk hat and a silver cane. A watch of gold with a diamond chain. Hi, diddly day. An actor's life is gay. It's great to be a celebrity. An actor's life for me. I wonder what led to the decision to make Honest John and I forget the name of his Gideon. counterpart. Gideon. Gideon, right. The decision to make them anthropomorphic animals in a otherwise human world in which nobody no- seems to notice or care. Yeah, it's like you're turning into a donkey. Not that much of a problem, actually. There's a cat that wears clothes. <laughs> it's, that's actually a <laughs> And the cat thing. can't even talk. As I was watching it, Half of my brain was kind of reading them as allegories anyway. So, like, everybody else in this world doesn't see them as a fox and a cat. We see them as a fox and a cat because that's their personality traits coming through. Yeah. And the, when the boys all turn into donkeys on Pleasure Island, they're not really turning into donkeys. They are simply being boxed up and shipped off as slaves. But we're seeing them being turned into donkeys because that characterizes what's happening to them. Honest John gives a priceless puppet to uh, Stromboli uh, and gets a small bag of gold in return. It's like, that's how much of a wheeler dealer he really is. Stromboli <laughs> should have gone, bloody hell, I'm talking a fox! And grabbed him as well. <laughs> that is a fine point. Actually, the, I would say that what appealed what to me the most... What about your cat? Oh no, he only wears the pants. <laughs> yeah, he can't talk. <laughs> um, what, what appealed to me the most about Pinocchio, particularly in comparison to Snow White, was the fact that there is a journey here, that there is oh, a yeah. character who goes from A to B to C, and that it, it's actually 
um, there aren't that many Disney stories that follow this particular arc, which is that Pinocchio is essentially naive and lazy and selfish, not in a, a really horrible way, just in the way that children are, um, because when you're tiny, the world doesn't really exist outside your own focus. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's presented to him that if he wants to become a real boy, read grown-up human being, he's going to have to learn to be unselfish and to care about other people than himself and, and uh, other things than his own gratification. And he does go through that journey. Yeah. Snow White doesn't even approach that. She gets, she doesn't get told to do anything and she doesn't do anything. She technically, she mothers the dwarves and gives them a bit more of a, uh, a, a lifestyle, an organized lifestyle than they've managed before. She makes them wash their hands and she gives goose, uh, gooseberry pie to grumpy. Save it for the princess show. I know. I know. <laughs> Unfortunately, we can't talk about character arcs without pointing out that she's a princess. But um, I will say the transformation scene uh, when Lampwick turns into a donkey is fantastic, even today. It's like the American Werewolf in London transformation scene for kids. Well, yeah, yeah. Still really oh scary. god yes it is he's he, yeah because he's so terrified in that yeah. scene he's totally compass mentis throughout the whole thing he can see his humanity dribbling away and turns into he, he can't talk at the end as well he, so he's just basically a braying simpleton but it's it's ugh. Yeah, just just watching that, it's it's extremely masterfully handled, and uh, I think uh, one of the uh, animators talking about it to compare it to Hitchcock in terms of uh, the the attention, because as Lampwick's transforming bit by bit into a donkey, he's unaware of it. Ears first, then tail. It's Pinocchio's reactions to him, and it's like, uh oh, uh oh, something's going on here. And then he like looks at the uh, the drink, throws the drink away, looks at the cigarette. Kids smoking and drinking and doing Fight Club, I might add as well. <laughs> um, uh, but but yeah, that that whole scenario is is pretty terrifying. And the worst thing, and I said this to Lyra, no comeuppance for those guys. Pinocchio nope. does not foil that. You would not make a movie like that today where Pinocchio wasn't morally obliged to stop the trafficking of children. That is quite a loose end to leave. They totally <laughs> get away with it. Isn't yeah. that, that guy's like, no one comes back as boys. <laughs> and Lawrence John's like, yes, happy to do business with you. Um, so the other thing I love about it is uh, Monstro, the whale, the, uh, that, that whole sequence, it's the, the, monst- the, the immensity of that thing. And the, uh, the fact that they have to animate the water, which I gather is quite difficult to animate. Yeah. Yeah. That that's part of what makes my jaw drop looking at that. Just to give them the scale, just, yeah. Given the scale and how much they do and how complex a lot of the water and the splashes are and the movements of the water and the waves and the characters moving and acting on top of that and being affected by it. That's that's super complex stuff. Yeah. Even now that's super complex to do. And it it's the second animated feature ever in their second and their first time trying anything like that and it's probably some of the best looking water disney's ever done honestly i'm amazed this did not do huge huge money why didn't it i mean 40 uh, means it was it was in the middle of the depression there was that so that didn't help there was also because europe had bigger hitlery problems to deal with hitlery uh, problems that's a good weapon yeah. <laughs> we ain't got time for pinocchio chaps we've got hitlers to deal with <laughs> Well, I mean, that's a. I mean, Europe was even then a good chunk of the of the audience that Disney yeah. would have to distribution appeal. was became strangled between between these years, definitely. So you basically, could not count on that audience anymore, mm. and 
and honestly, he sank so much more money into this film. It was going to have to make a big amount of money back to yeah. uh, to to make it back. And so it ended up being pretty unsuccessful at the time. Obviously, long term, very successful, as with all of these early Disney films. But um, yeah, it, at the time, definitely a big hit financially to the studio. Yeah. When you get in trouble and you don't know right from wrong, give a little whistle. Give a little whistle. When you meet temptation and the urge is very strong, give a little whistle. Give a little whistle. Not just a little squeeze, pucker up and blow. And if your whistle's weak, yell, Jiminy Cricket, right. Take the straight and narrow path, and if you start to slide, give a little whistle. Give a little whistle. And always let your conscience be your guide. Um, Sharon, uh, because you can probably sum up m- many of my issues, do you want to say if, any problems you have with Pinocchio? Um, well, I think the, the the biggest one for me, um, and it, it took me by surprise, actually. I wasn't expecting this, but there is a, shall we say, a degree of elitism in uh, the whole segment with the, uh, the boys being taken off to Pleasure Island. You've got this um, mass of... Uh, if you look at it closely, very obviously poverty-struck kids. I mean, all of their shoes and their clothes are tatty as hell and full of holes. They clearly do not have particularly um, uh, well-cared-for uh, backgrounds or, or, you know, households that, that have um, money and the ability to support them. And yet... I think I spotted Tony Costa in there somewhere. Yeah, Philip possibly. Pullman was making notes. There's there's almost an Oliver sensibility about it all. Yeah, Oliver Twist yeah. going on there. But there's still this overarching tone of they deserve what they get because they're being seduced by the prospect of drink and smoke and pool. And, um, you know... <laughs> being able to play all the time and not ever having to take any responsibility. Well, you see, if you'd gone to school like good boys, then you'd be all right, wouldn't you? And it's like, have you seen what's happening to them? He is in a box labelled salt mines. Nobody deserves that. This is, of course, not helped by the fact that Jiminy keeps lecturing Pinocchio the whole way through and sounding like the sort of guy that you really don't want to follow, follow that moral path because it sounds boring. But not not just boring, impractical, unrealistic. Um, yeah, they they do kind of hit the Protestant work ethic a little bit. You also too hard. had a few issues with race, racial depiction. Um, yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll if you, you could summarise quickly, we're running tight for time on Pinocchio. Sure, sorry. Right, I'll let you talk about racist duck. But um, for me, <laughs> it was uh, it was the. Uh, the characterization of Stromboli, who managed to insult Italians, uh, Romani people, fairground owners, um, and people of a heavier set disposition, all in one go. Nice. Which I thought was quite impressive. That's a quadruple whammy. It is. Yeah, he, he reminds me a little bit of Watto. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Pinocchio, yeah, so you come the, here. Yeah, the Jewish insults in there as well. Mm-hmm. Um yeah. He's a bit Fagin-ish. Yes. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I think there's a lot of issues um, around this time and uh, there are a couple of uh, censored Disney films which we're going to be talking about uh, where 
you could put it down to uh, them being racially ignorant, racially not not racially intolerant so much as just not aware. Uh, yeah, not having any clue that in a few years' time, maybe even immediately there, people will be watching this stuff and slapping their heads and going, "Seriously, you put that up there?" And then in decades from now, you'll be going, "You cannot put this stuff in kids' movies." Racist duck is actually only there for a, bl- a brief half second. And uh, people tend to make a big fuss about the crows in Dumbo. We'll be talking about them in a second. Racist Duck is a puppet in Stromboli's shop. It's, it's just part of the background. It's not even animated. But it's, it's, a, it's a tribeswoman. She's got, like, um, grass skirt and, like, sort of uh, bobbles on her feet and big, a big red bill resembling oversized lips. And it's kind of like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I didn't even see that in the background. Keep an eye out for racist ducks. There we go. (laughs) But once you've seen it, you cannot unsee it. It's not actually a problem inherent to Pinocchio so much as a problem inherent to the time. Yeah. Unfortunately, a lot of that in early Disney. Also, Geppetto's a quitter. He gives up way too easily on everything. It's not really uh, a problem with the uh, the film. Uh, It just shows that Pinocchio has to push that little bit harder and a little bit further. And I suppose it is good characterization for the, the kid. Um, also, they had Mel Blanc, the voice of Bugs Bunny, in the studio, voicing the cat Gideon. And at the last minute, they decided, let's make him mute. I would the only like... time they ever got him in the studio, yeah. <laughs> they didn't use it. What the hell? I mean, that's, again, not really a problem. He could have sucked, but we'll never know now, will we? Nope. Well, the hiccup's still in there. Yeah, he, he does get a hiccup. I think that was Mel Blanc's hiccup. Yep. <laughs> it would be nice if he actually talked only in a Bugs Bunny voice. Um, Do we have time for me to quickly ask Dan the particle animation question? Yeah, go for it, yeah. Talking about the animation of water, Dan, yeah. um, we were discussing this while we were watching Fantasia today. Is the reason that animating things like fire and fog and dust and water are so complex that it's it's basically about animating thousands and thousands and thousands of molecules that all have to be doing their own thing. Yeah, essentially. And especially, I mean, doing it in hand-drawn animation when you're just having to kind of approximate it and make it look right and real, it's a very complex thing to do and actually make look right. Even today, still, even though we can run a lot of simulations, uh, just physics-wise, to kind of get us a lot of the way there for things like water, it's still a really complex uh, task to perform. We've gotten to the point now where in film, like oceans and water and all that stuff can be in there and you won't even think about it. It just looks right. Like the uh, helicarrier coming out of the water, like just all that looks right. But that is so much an incredible amount of work to get looking proper and correct. And it's, yeah. it's, I, I saw some, some guys uh, at one point when it's back at Pixar, some of the guys who worked on life of Pi came in and just kind of showed some of their tech demo for what they did to be able to get realistic oceans that you could still directly control, like when a wave hit from where and what controlled basically the image at any given time, the composition, while still making it look like realistically what an ocean would do with water is just staggeringly complex what they had to figure out. And so the fact that they can make like the ocean movements and waves and all that look this good in the 30s, the 1940, by hand, is mind-blowing.
looking back at my notes for these earlier films we were doing, I, I wrote maybe like eight or nine bullet points for all these earlier ones compared to the pages. Yes. <laughs> Partly just because of the, our, our, we eventually gave up the structure of, all right, let's not record 10 of these at once. Let's do, let's do them one or two at a time. So I started actually going much more in depth and coming up with stuff to say, but man. Yeah. I wrote like seven things about all of Fantasia. That's ridiculous. It seems like a big ask, and it almost like if we were going to go back, we should really just do them one per week. But uh, Christ, I, I don't think I could talk about Fantasia for t- for the customary hour and a half to two hours. I think the half hour we even ended up getting before recording this extra bit, it mm. feels like the right amount because they're just with these earlier films. There is plenty to say, but there's not so much substance to the film that you could be digging in for yeah. hours and hours on it. Like we are not going to run to three hours even when you're saying you're just going to do two on Dumbo. There's lots of lovely things to say about Dumbo, but you don't have to talk for two hours about it. Whereas I I think we talk at length on those later ones because we really want to. Yeah. One exception to that would actually be Pinocchio. I feel like we, I could feasibly write an essay about the, uh, the simple mechanics of a puppet wanting to be a real live boy and why that, genuinely appeals to us and has made it uh, an immortal story. That's true. We could probably dig into some of these a bit more. Cinderella could probably get a little bit more, mm. some of these a uh, handful of these other ones. But by the po- by the time we were getting to these later 60s films, we were talking longer about them. Oh no, actually, I was I was putting this is a bit for the end of Pinocchio. Oh, well, okay. <laughs> sorry. See how I worked into it though, very, very seamlessly. Genuine question, by the way. Does that mean that Pinocchio counts as the first sci-fi story? He's like a wooden cyborg. (laughs) (laughs) Surely sci-fi existed before the 40s. No, he's a golem. I don't don't mean Pinocchio the film, because Pinocchio Pinocchio the the story has been around for a lot longer than that. No, but the the concept of uh, um, uh, a a creature of being made and then having a spark of life put in it has been around for a long time before that. Mm. That's true. Yeah. The... the, the, but then again, the golem is not a character that is possessed of that much of a... a, a, a not that I've, in the mythology I've read, it doesn't yearn to be human. It doesn't have a soul that's animated by God. Yeah. I mean, in all seriousness, Pinocchio is a real live boy. This is what really bothered me when I was, uh, I was a kid. It's like He is real, he's just made of wood. Yeah, the only difference between him is, is his uh, physical form, his metabolism. And there's so many drawbacks to actually being human that being a, a wooden puppet can, you know, there's many, many scenarios where if Pinocchio was human, he'd die. When he's searching for Geppetto, he'd just drown. Yeah, you could swim forever. Why do you want to be real? Yeah. And also, how do we define real at this point? If Pinocchio's talking, Pinocchio's thinking, Pinocchio's wishing to be real, is not Pinocchio real and alive? I think and a boy. What he wants is to be meat. Yeah, no, but he is. I guess that even in the film, he is, in a practical sense, he is as real at the beginning as he is later when he is made into like a real meat flesh boy. and blood Super boy, meat like boy, if you will. Flesh. <laughs> his his I mean, his interaction and the loving relationship he shares with Geppetto yeah. and his interaction with everyone else in the household. He may look like a lot more of the objects around the room, mm. but he functionally like the re- in the relationships he is the same but i mean basically it's the, the 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 meat versus wood is incidental uh in 
he's grown. He's had an arc. This is why he beats Snow White hands down every time. He's actually changed as a person and become less of a selfish little goit. Snow White doesn't really change. In fact, we don't even really have any evidence that she's going to turn down the next poisoned apple that comes her way. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with Snow White, really. I mean, even her naivety is seen as charming. Of course, there's plenty wrong with Snow White by today's standards, but in taken at face value, Snow White doesn't need to change. Pinocchio is basically presented with, like, you're presented with uh, a norm, which is horrible little child. Isn't he cute, but aren't kids selfish little buggers? And then basically, slowly, he has to go through attrition. And um, in the longer stories of Pinocchio, he goes through even more. In in the, uh, I actually remember watching an animated series of Pinocchio when I was a, a kid, where he actually gets crucified. Now, we could argue the relative merits of what it means to string a wooden puppet out on a crucifix in the sun in the desert for hours on end all we want, but ultimately it's the journey of the soul that Pinocchio's on. Pinocchio, um, motherfuckers, we're out. <laughs> <laughs> See, I can't not end on that now. Oh, Jesus. Um, okay, right. Anything else about Pinocchio? Do you have any cricket? We've not really mentioned that he actually, for a long time with Disney, was like a mascot for them. I mean, basically, I think until Tinkerbell came along, he was Disney's go-to guy when it wasn't going to be Mickey. If they were going to, like, Jiminy Cricket was... Am I am I imagining this? Oh, no, he definitely he reappeared pretty frequently. He was in one of those... Uh, Awful. <laughs> he was in one of those... Awful. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> The wartime ones. I'm sorry. Yes, he was in one of the wartime ones. I, it's either... Which one is it? I have it written down. It's Footloose and Fancy Free. Uh, fun and Fancy Free. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it, he was in uh, Fun and Fancy Free later, just because he was that sort of uh, Disney mascotish character. And he is yeah. a really lovable, appealing character, too. He could have been super annoying. And in probably some incarnations in certain films and bits, mm. he has been super annoying, I'm sure. Yeah. But because that kind of character handled poorly gets super annoying really fast. But yeah. there's a lot of appeal to the way he moves around and kind of a a little bit of a vaudevillian showmanship to his performance and the way he swings that umbrella around like a cane with with the hat. And he he's pretty lovable. I can see why he stuck around. Yeah. Also, the the two man uh, dynamic of him with uh, Pinocchio and like him being the shoulder angel and Pinocchio being this out of out of control little id, the shoulder devil himself, just. Sh- charging around doing whatever the hell he wants and kind of like saying oh i'm gonna listen to you jiminy and totally not again it's so much more dynamic than snow white wandering around going oh a shadow it might attack me
historical significance of Pinocchio. I think we've already we covered a bit it to begin with, um, and, but let's go back to that. It gave them tenure as a studio because it, it proved that they could do it twice. Um, it introduced the magic. Now, magic's in Snow White, but if you remember, most of it seems to involve the Wicked Queen trying to kill Snow White. So it's it's less about wonderful things happening and more about relief that the magic has actually ended when uh, she's woken up by True Love's kiss. The the fairy dust and the blue fairy and the touching Pinocchio with the wand and that sort of starburst effect and the the when you wish upon a star that stuff and the fairy stuff and the wishing upon a star and the what we want to be and you know, how we want the world to be. And, and if we wish hard enough and we push, then maybe our dreams will come true. That is wholly begun in Pinocchio. Absolutely. When You Wish Upon a Star is basically the Disney anthem now. Still, to this day. Yeah. When, when Star Wars Episode Seven comes out, it will have When You Wish Upon a Star to begin with. <laughs> That's oddly appropriate. <laughs> Actually, it is. Just as an animator watching this, too, I am impressed by uh, looking at Snow White, like, and this is very much craft of animation stuff, but looking at, like, animations of dwarves, the characters that aren't kind of carefully following a live-action rotoscope sort of thing, like the like Snow White and the, and the Prince, like, their kind of animation is appealing, and they've all got charm, but it's very busy. They're moving pretty much constantly. There's, like, they don't, they will not stay in a pose for very long, usually. It's very, just lots of chaos, but looking at, like, I was loved watching Jiminy Cricket kind of even just from the beginning in this one to come in because even just in the craft of st- character performance and animation, they are, they came a long way. Like, uh, look, like he will hit a pose. You can see a subtle, like, um, you can see subtle gestures and subtle expression changes. And he's really acting, honestly, for the first time. They're not like, tr- they're not basically kind of following a actor's performance or kind of doing a lot of really chaotic sort of big grand gestures. There's actual acting happening to a much greater extent in this movie, which as an animator, I just loved watching. I can't not say acting. Yeah, yeah, very much. And it's still very like the uh, kind of crossover from like the infusion of acting and drama and performance into what animators do was kind of happening more and more around this time and much more so as time passed but uh because animators are essentially kind of actors just we are working from the outside in as opposed from the inside out and uh yeah so it's just a pleasure for me just knowing that like just that there's an animator behind this performance i'm watching and i'm seeing just seeing them grow just to me for for all of these movies is just so cool when you wish upon a star make no difference who you Desires will come to you If your heart is in your dream No request is too extreme When you wish upon a star As dreamers do
Pinocchio sounds scary. Even I get that reference. Okay, how about this? A dream is a wish your heart makes. Oh, oh, it's more Disney films. I can show you the world. Shining, shimmering, splendid. You are ruining my child. Someone maketh him stop. Do you want to build a snowman? Ah! Snowman, it's the summer! Hey, we heard you're going up against the Avengers. So are we. Well then, you've got a friend in me. Sweet. I don't like this. Oh. 